And for those who remain, I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. We've been considering uh, this theme that we are His, we are the Lord's. And what does that mean for our relationships, for singleness, for marriage, for uh, parenting and life together in the family of God? And we turn now to this theme of law, which on the surface might not seem to have a whole lot to do with it. But I'll hope that we will see that it does. So we'll be looking at Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through chapter 8, verse 4. This is God's word. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet If the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law. When the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. The law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin, producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. With my flesh, I serve the law of sin. There is therefore therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For in the law of the Spirit of life, you have been set free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is God's Word. 
Let's pray that he would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to understand and believe how it is that our Lord Jesus Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death. We might be a people who walk according to the Spirit and so fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. For your glory, by your power, according to your will. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So maybe it comes as a surprise, maybe it doesn't, to to hear this statement. Law is an utterly and absolutely critical component to all of our relationships. Think about it. This is why couples who are in those early stages of really, you know, being attracted to one another, and they're all giddy around one another. Eventually, they get to this point where they have that define the relationship talk where they can, like, determine what are the rules and laws by which we're going to interact with one another. What am I going to call you? Are we going to call one another boyfriend or girlfriend? Is this just, like, friends? Or, like, like they need that, the freedom that, that those rules provide. This is why you hear even politicians, when they're maybe at their best, as rare as those occasions may be, talking about the benefit of the rule of law, that we all have this common understanding of how we should interact with one another. You see this maybe no more clearly than in the world of board games. And some of you were doing the Macarena last night at the square dancing. I was engaged in some board games. And here's the thing. If, If you don't know the rules, you just pull it out and there are all these pieces that have penguins or fish or submarines, and you're like, what, what, what is all of this? Who is it? And so somebody's got to explain the rules to you, and it can be tedious, and it can be frustrating when they say shall instead of can or can instead of shall, and, 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 and it can be misused even in some rare circumstances. But here's the thing. You can't have fun playing the board game if you don't know the rules. It's just chaos. Law is a critical component to all of our relationships. How much more, then, should we consider how the holy, righteous, and perfect law of God is relevant to all of our relationships all the time? How? How is it? We're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to see that the law of God reveals our ignorance of what sin is and what it can do. We're going to see that the law reveals our utter and complete inability to actually keep it. And we're going to see that the law reveals to us a gracious lawgiver. Let's turn our attention to those things this morning. And the first thing I want us to see in verses 7 through 12 is that the law reveals our ignorance of sin. This is basically Paul's entire point. How would we even know what sin is if there wasn't a law? How would I know I couldn't make this move on the board game if I didn't know the rule? I would just do whatever I wanted. And and so Paul is saying here that, that until there was law, I was alive. Sin really didn't have any power over me. 
seems a strange thing to say, but don't misunderstand him. He's not saying you were without sin before the law. Saying sin, sin isn't revealed yet. It, it hasn't shown itself to be what it really is when you don't know what holiness and righteousness are. It's, it's very much like the law is, is like a, an MRI where you don't know. Maybe you suspect, maybe you see signs and hints that there is something destructive within your body, that there is a, a tumor or a cancer or some, uh, uh, something amiss, but until the scan reveals it, far as you know, you're alive and well. When the law comes, it reveals what sin is and all of its sinfulness, and it brings with it condemnation of that sin. And there is a grace in that. There is a grace in, in God's giving us of his law because it, it provides for us wisdom. To know, to know what is righteous and holy and good and pure, and to know what is wicked and evil and sinful and rotten, and to know the sad state that we're in. Terrible would it be to put off, to put off, to put off, to put off that scan year after year after year after year, only to find out too late. What could have been treated, what could have been dealt with, is now too far along. So there is a, a grace in the wisdom that the law provides to show us what God is like, what His goodness and righteousness are like. Our problem is that all too often we don't look to God's law in our relationships. We, we settle for a different law. We, we major in our own law. And we use that to govern and rule our relationships to their detriment, maybe even to their destruction. Think about how easily married couples find themselves in positions to criticize one another over the most bizarre things. Why don't you like outside Christmas lights? Everybody likes outside Christmas lights. How can you be so... And, and, and there is this hidden law at work behind that criticism. You should have known that I needed you to take the trash out. I never said, but you should have known. And we find things to criticize in the other based on our own expectations, spoken or unspoken, our own customs, our own background and upbringing. You know, it's a joke in premarital counseling and a, and a cliche in premarital counseling that so many arguments start over which way the toilet paper roll is put or, or how you squeeze the toothpaste tube because it's true. We find the most ridiculous things to argue about that are not based in an understanding of how God's law applies to our relationships, but how our expectations in that relationship aren't being met. Parents do this. 
when we personalize our children's sin. Why would you do that to me? I told you not to do that. I don't need to explain myself. I just said it, that you should do it. If I say jump, ask how high. And we begin to become that law unto ourselves and not bringing God's law to bear. Those of you who aren't married or don't have children or are otherwise unattached in your relationships may begin to think to yourselves, well, I mean, I don't, I don't really affect other people with my decisions. And so I can do what I want and live how I want and spend my money how I want and spend my time how I want. And yet you have then become a law unto yourself and haven't thought even how might God's wisdom and guidance instruct you or how you should live and relate to the world around you and to those the Lord brings across your path. And of course, we do this in the church all the time, exchanging God's holy, good, and righteous commandment for expectations and preferences and rules and laws of our own making, confusing our preferences with God's holy principles. Because everybody knows that tune isn't nearly as good as the other one. I, or that should be the color of the carpet and not this. Or whatever. We confuse our preferences with God's eternal principles. Why? It's not just that God's law reveals sin reveals our ignorance of how sinful and wretched we are. It's not just that God's law reveals it. It's that God's law demonstrates just how far away we are from ever being able to keep it. We are utterly, completely, and totally unable to keep God's law. So it's easier to exchange that high and holy standard for one that we feel like is a little bit more accessible to us. But even when we turn to God's law, we don't know how to use it. We don't know how to relate to it. And we try to make the law do what it cannot do. My brother and I, growing up, would always borrow my dad's tools to do various and sundry things in the yard. So if we decided we wanted to hammer nails into pieces of wood, we would take wood out of the scrap wood pile or not the scrap wood pile, and we would find nails and hammers, and we would hammer them in, and we would decide, oh, no, we didn't want the nail there. We need to get it out. Oh, but we hammered it too far in there, and we couldn't get the hammer in there to pull the nail out, or we couldn't get a a screwdriver in there. So we would go get dad's chisels, and chisels are the best pry bars. You can just get in there and and just get that little edge and pull all kinds of stuff out. But when your dad finds out that's what you've been doing with his chisels, watch out. That's that's not what a chisel's for. And when you do that, you leave these little divots in that nice, perfect chisel edge, and you've also torn up all the wood. When you use a chisel in the way it's not meant to be used, you end up ruining everything, even your relationship with your dad who has bought no small number of chisels in his day. Look, Paul is saying here in verses 13 through 20 that that our sin nature is so deeply ingrained in us 
that it will take even good things like God's law and it will twist them to unholy ends. So backwards, perverse, and wicked are we in our own ability that even God's good, holy, and perfect law, we will find ways to misuse it and we will destroy everything around us. We like to think that we can use God's law to kill sin. That's not how it works. The the sinful nature in us is able to take God's good, holy law and use it to kill us. To heap shame and guilt and destruction upon us to fool us into thinking that if we can't keep God's holy law, we have no business being a part of His family. And so it it encourages us to run far and to hide from Him, even as our father and mother Adam and Eve did in the garden. And it leaves us confused, even as Paul. He knows, but he can't do it. He knows what is good and right. And it seems like at every turn, evil is right there with him. And sin produces death in him through what is good. That is how wicked and sinful sin is, that it will take even what is good and bring evil about. That work of the law to expose our inability It's actually a grace. It is the grace of conviction to show us who we really are. How desperate our condition really is. Why is it that we think that we can use the law to bring salvation? That we can use the law to fix people or to fix the problems around us? If we just have more law then all the problems will go away. If you've ever uttered, there ought to be a law. You've bought into this way of thinking. How often have you thought or said to your spouse, if only you would... smile at me in the morning, whether you've had your coffee first or not. Take out the trash without being asked. Pick up your socks... Not be cruel. Stop criticizing and nagging. If only you would obey a law, then our relationship would be better. We never bring that law to bear on our own hearts. We don't lead with a lifestyle of confession, of humility, coming to those closest to us and saying, I'm so sorry. I realized I've been behaving this way towards you. And it must be awful. Or as parents, we seek to control our children with more rules, with more curfews. Do this, don't do that. Find 12 rules for life or all of those sorts of things. And and then you will find happiness and you will be better. But all we end up doing is raising up 
children who know how to game the system, who know which laws are important to the people around them, but who don't have hearts shaped to the likeness and image of our good and holy God. We have children who behave a certain way, but who aren't necessarily touched in their deepest soul. We do this in our fight with temptation. We think that, if, well, if I just don't use the computer after a certain time of day, if we, didn't just, if we just didn't hang out after it got dark, if we were never alone, we, we make rules to avoid pornography or illicit uh, intimacy or, or uh, counting our calories so we don't indulge with food or, or drink too much. And, and we think that if we just do more rules we'll be okay, and yet it's amazing how creative we get at finding exceptions. This time it's okay. Even in the church, it's so easy for us to project a culture of demanding conformity, of shaming those who don't measure up, of encouraging people to just keep your trash to yourself. Because we don't, that's not how we are around here. And we're surprised somehow, somehow, when we discover that the people around us are sinners. Because we've thought that if we just projected more law, it would fix the problems in the people around us. Bonhoeffer, in his book, Life Together, has a whole section on this. Why, why are we surprised when we discover that our brother or our sister are sinners? There, there's a naivete there that, that, that reflects that we don't really think that we're that bad of sinners either, apparently. What would it look like? For us to experience the grace of conviction. To see the law of the most holy, wise, and perfect God show us that we are not in a place where we can just do it better and we'll be okay. We are dead and dying. So how glorious is it that the law doesn't just show us the wisdom of God's good, holy, and righteous nature and way. And it doesn't just reveal to us our inability to keep it, but it shows us and points us to a lawgiver who is gracious. We have a tendency to want to build our identity around law. Whether God's law or the law that we make, we become like Pharisees. Uh, measuring our worth based on how well we keep certain aspects of the law. Or, or we define ourselves by how we failed to keep the law. And we cower in shame and bear up under guilt, never thinking ourselves worthy to enter into God's presence. Either way, we are building our identity around this law. It was never intended to be used that way. You think about the, the parable of the prodigal son. 
the, the son who rejected his father, went off, took his share of the inheritance, and, and squandered it in wild living. You think about the elder brother who was upset that his dad never gave him anything and never let him have any fun. And, and one son is, just indulges in wickedness and, and profane actions and is stricken with guilt. The other was enslaved to his own righteousness and consumed by bitterness, but both were alienated from their loving father. And this is what Paul is saying that the law ought to drive us to. Who will save me from this body of death that can't keep the law? Thanks be to our gracious God. We are saved through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because what the law was not able to do, Christ did. By taking on the form of a sinful man, not sin himself, but in the likeness of sinful flesh, he lived perfectly. He fulfilled all of the law that you and I could not fulfill on our behalf. And then he bore in his flesh the penalty for our sin and the guilt. We might be those who no longer walk according to our weak, fleshly, sinful natures, but those who walk according to the Spirit. For as Christ rose from the dead and sent His Spirit upon His people, He calls us to walk by a different walk. No longer living lives under the condemnation of the law, but walking according to the law of the Spirit of life. Free to live before our holy and perfect God, to follow His wisdom, to seek to live after Him, but not in order to earn our place before Him, but because in Christ our gracious God has done everything for us that we could not do on our own. has fulfilled the holy requirement of the law for us so that we could be counted as His righteous sons and daughters, not because of any righteous works that we have done, because of His righteousness, because of His life He lived on our behalf. And if we don't see the law pointing us to Christ to find our life and our identity and our hope and our peace in Him, we will always and forever be shouldered with the insurmountable burden and condemnation of God's holy law. This law while it announces condemnation for sin, points us to a gracious lawgiver. And so, we should not, as Paul Tripp says, we should not, we cannot ask the law to do what only grace can accomplish. Think about how this works itself out, perhaps, in your marriages where you have to learn forgiveness 
that isn't that weak forgiveness that the world offers. <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry, I said that thing. To you. Oh, don't worry about it. It was nothing. That that's that's not forgiveness. That's dismissing, dismissal. That's something in the English language that I didn't learn. Uh, but we are free as those who have experienced the infinite forgiveness of Christ. For all of our inability overflow with that same forgiveness to others. Because if Christ could bear in his body our sin against God, we can bear the hurts and the harms that others have done to us. Not because we have the strength in ourselves, but because if Christ has forgiven us, we can offer others forgiveness too. Even those closest to us who so often know all the worst ways to hurt us. We can live this out as parents, understanding the the proper place for reward and punishment. It is is not in and of itself the, the practice of rewarding and punishing good and evil enough to mold our children's hearts in the likeness and image of God. We don't have the ability to do it. And so in all of our parenting, in all of our leading, and it, we are acting not as the potter with the clay, but as representatives of the potter who is able to change and mold the hearts of our children. We become ambassadors and agents of God in their lives showing them what the law is and isn't able to do and what only Christ can do for them. We work this out in our individual lives. No longer seeking identity and being driven to root our conception of ourselves in our success or in our pleasures or in our comforts or in our reputations or in our wealth or in our possessions. But knowing that we are the beloved children of God, we are free to be a blessing to those around us. To not live these self-righteous lives of look what I've accomplished. Lives of confident humility. Those who are the children of God who have good news to share with any who would want to be reconciled to the holy, righteous, and good God of the universe. And so are we as a church then using God's law rightly? Are we using it as a a whip to drive people to some destination that we want them to go? so that we feel better about ourselves, or we lift it up as a part of God's call, gracious call, to be reconciled to a lawgiver who is so holy and so righteous and so good that we could never hope in our own strength to know him rightly, and yet who has done everything to make us his. God's law is good. It is wise. 
It brings the grace of conviction to us, but it only has the power of condemnation. The gospel, the good news, is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. Certainly our relationships need the law only as they point us to Christ. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would do that very thing and that you would give us eyes to see. Lord, that you would even, dare I say it, convict us of all of the ways that we have misused your law. And help us, Lord, instead to look to Christ, to point others to him, and to see the the grace that he has brought to bear on us, work itself out in all our relationships. Lord, that our marriages, that our, our relationships with our children or our parents, our co-workers, our neighbors, our fellow church members, Lord, would be saturated not with the works of the law, but the grace of Christ who has enabled us to walk in the spirit of life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.